Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of V Brown Bag. Um, this evening, I'm very happy to once again have Christy Peralt on. Uh, we are tonight going to be talking about squeaky clean code, how to develop and adopt better coding practices. Um, I've uh, Christy, Christy and I are, uh, well, I'm a current resident of New Hampshire, and uh, she is a post-resident of New Hampshire. So, so we're going to have some interesting uh, in-jokes about New Hampshire. And we, we actually um, just hung out together last week, uh, ironically, in Denver, of all places. Hey, Christy, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited about the, uh, the New Hampshire jokes. We can't take them for granted. <laughs> There's ah, an answer. I see it. what you did there. <laughs> Thank you. We're here all week. Try the veal. All right. Before before we bore everybody, let's get a couple of show notes out and uh, and get this thing going. Um, you, if you want to, I highly encourage you to follow Christy. She is kperalt95 on Twitter. Um, but first, a couple of show notes. Get in on the conversation. If you are in the live studio audience or if you are uh, paying attention on the Twitter sphere, if you at V Brown Bag or hashtag V Brown Bag, I am paying attention to both of those and we will be able to post questions and uh, pose them um, as we always do. So, once again, if you follow, uh, if you want to, please follow Christy Peralt, K, K Peralt 95. It took me a little while to figure it out. Two, two R's, E A U L T 95. Uh, and if you want to, I, I highly discourage you from following me. I say nothing good on Twitter except post cat pictures about beep. Um, I'm at Mistwire and Sean Doyle, who said he was going to jump in here in a minute uh, after he took care of some, some home baby stuff, <laughs> that he will show up. Uh, and he is cloud osmotic. And, and Margo Beck is in the audience. Hey, Margo. <laughs> another, another one of the, uh, the folks that was we were, we were hanging out with this weekend. You can you can unmute yourself, Christy. This isn't like an official thing. Can... <laughs> I know, I was taking a sip. I forgot to un, unmute. I think Margo's here because I added her on LinkedIn today, so. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, that was a super fun dinner. I, I really enjoyed all mm. of us hanging out together. I'm, I'm definitely going to be spending some more time in uh, in Denver. And, and you're going to be coming up here and we're going to be hanging out here again too. I am next week. Next week, I'll be East Coast. Oh my goodness. We'll have, to, we'll have to we'll have to do like like oddly specific New Hampshire stuff. Yeah, we should. I need to eat seafood because you're in a landlocked state here. That's the thing I miss. Oh, we're taking you to the galley hatch. It has got the best clam chowder. Uh, I can't wait. On the uh, clam, clam chowder. Oh my gosh, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> okay, all right. Enough with the, enough with these shenanigans. Um, <laughs> what, you want to go ahead and share your screen? Yes, I will take the share. You have the power. Wonderful. I can see your screen now. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, I will try to pay attention to the chat as then nope. the Q&A. Don't you worry about bit. that. that I'll, I'll, I'll take care <laughs> of that. You can chime in if you want. That's totally yes. fine. Um, yes, ma'am. Fine with running it casual if we want to do that tonight. Um, but yes. This is totally uh, casual. It's very casual. I like it. This is definitely more my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as Chris uh, mentioned, my name's Christy Peralt. I'm a principal software engineer at Liberty Mutual Insurance. Uh, and today I'm going to be talking a bit about squeaky clean code um, and how to work on your clean coding practices. 
Um, so just a quick agenda, some of the things I'm going to run through. I'll do a quick introduction on myself. I know this is my second time here, but I think there's some new folks in the audience. Um, we're going to actually define what clean code is, um, and probably more importantly, what clean code is not. Uh, we're going to talk about your uh, environment and setting team standards. Uh, we will talk about every engineer's favorite subject, documentation. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about going through code reviews um, and how to make those kind of fun and engaging and use them as a learning tool. Uh, and then I'll finish up with some success stories that I've experienced and witnessed um, by doing all of these things. Um, so first, just a little kind of background about Liberty Mutual. If you haven't heard of us, uh, we're an insurance company and uh, we're the sixth largest global property and casualty insurer. Uh, we rank on the Fortune 100 list. Uh, we're also global. We're in about 30 different countries and economies worldwide. Um, and we have about 45,000 employees, um, and actually more than 5,000 of those folks sit in technology roles, um, which tends to surprise some people sometimes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we've been voted one of the top 100 best places to work in IT. Uh, and additionally, we have a huge focus on diversity and inclusion. Um, we've been voted one of the best employers for women, for new hires, uh, for diversity, LGBTQ equality, um, and even received a perfect score of 100 on the Human Rights Campaign's uh, Corporate Equality Index. Uh, and I believe that's also true for 2021. I haven't updated my slides with everything from this past wow. year. That's amazing. I, yeah. I, I would also amazing. like to point out the fact, and this, this is something that you told us that should absolutely make it to this deck. You have a pension. <laughs> yeah, I do. I have a pension. So Chris segued me nicely into this. Um, if you'd like more information, lmi.co slash tech. Um, seems like we're always hiring. Um, if you're in the developer space, um, product owners, scrum masters, managers, uh, what have you. So feel free to check it out. Um, I've definitely enjoyed it. The work-life balance is great. Um, so I do a lot of the interviewing. So if you're really interested in that, let me know and we can chat afterwards. Uh, so a little bit about me. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a principal software engineer here. Uh, I'm specifically focused on serverless enablement and development. Um, I am within our DevOps organization. Uh, I've been at the company for about four years, plus a one-year-long internship. Um, and I've been in the serverless space for about two and a half now. Um, started with some Spring Boot stuff and CloudFormation templates, and I've kind of moved into uh, a lot of Python work, um, and we work to enable our 5,000 or so engineers to um, develop in the cloud and to do it in a serverless first fashion. Uh, I've just joined the AWS Community Builder Group as part of the serverless cohort this past March. Uh, I also have a master's degree in electrical and computer engineering, um, which I got during the pandemic while working full time. Um, so it's been a year and a half already since I finished that. Um, so actually most of my academic background is hardware and robotics. Um, always love to chat about some of those stuff too. Um, and as Chris mentioned, I'm just outside of Boulder, Colorado now. Um, I've been here for almost two years and I have just started up the serverless Denver group. Um, so if you are in the Denver area or know anyone who is, um, I will definitely pass on that information, but our first meetup is next Tuesday at a brewery. So super excited about that. 
Um, and I'm also very involved with women in tech efforts, both in and outside of Liberty. Um, and I'm pretty involved with the Women Who Code group out of the Denver and Boulder chapter. Okay, so now that all that's out of the way, uh, we'll talk a bit about clean code. Um, so I really like this definition. This is actually from uh, the clean code handbook. That's um, kind of this term clean code has kind of been coined by this Robert C. Martin. Um, and it's defined as code that is easy to understand, easy to change and follows good standards. Um, so this is great, but I think that the number one question that comes to mind is what does it mean to be all of these things? So I kind of want to clarify exactly um, what clean code is uh, and full disclosure, I have not read his book cover together cover, um, but he does have quite a bit of resources out there online um, that I've referenced and that we've used in our team before. Um, so I'd recommend the book if you want to read it. Um, if you're like me and kind of just want the Cliff Notes version, um, all of this is like documented out there um, as part of his philosophy of clean code. Uh, so clean code is answers these questions of what, how, and why. So you wanna make sure that you can look at your code and go through and say, you know, exactly what is this method doing? Um, how are you structuring your projects? Um, maybe why you're naming something the way that you are or why it's set up the way it is. So your code, if it's clean, should innately answer all of these questions. Uh, and sometimes the help of comments and things um, will help with that, um, but it should be clear. Clean code is also really refactorable. So as we know in tech, things change all the time um, and you need to be able to keep up with uh, the latest security patches or updates and upgrades, minor versions, major versions. So factoring and structuring your code in a way that makes those changes easier um, is part of the clean code philosophy. Making your code maintainable as well. Uh, it's pretty likely that whatever you will build, you will continue to use, or at least will end up passing on to another team or group or individual uh, to maintain for you going forward. Um, so keeping up to date on some of those things, as I mentioned with the, it's kind of hand in hand with the refactorability, um, but making sure you can kind of do day-to-day -day maintenance um, and be in the code pretty easily um, and that anybody on your team can work to maintain it. The one that's pretty easy, easily comes to mind for clean code is that it's formatted and it's readable. Um, so those are the things like, I, I joke, I don't care if you want to use tabs over spaces, um, just pick one and stick with it and use it throughout. Um, that's gonna just help your code, uh, make it easier to read, make it easier to format, um, and just making sure that you're going through and you don't have super long class definitions um, or like huge, huge files of code and things are broken out um, and consumed easier. Uh, and finally, making sure that it's easy to test. Uh, again, totally up to you if you wanna do test-driven development, um, how many unit tests you put in there, um, any kind of testing, manual testing. Um, you just wanna make sure that this is really well-documented and that it's something that's uh, easier to do. I think what's more important is what clean code definitely is not. So <laughs> I wanna be clear, it's not commenting everything. I do love documentation and I do love putting comments in there. Um, but if you have more comments than you have actual code in your coding file, it's probably not clean. Um, and it's also going to make it harder to read and harder to format. Um, there is a place for comments. I think that they are really helpful if you're doing things that have a lot of heavy logic or are really hard to explain or might be kind of working around something. Um, that's totally fine. Uh, but just don't, <laughs> you don't need a comment for every single line of code that you have. 
Uh, it's also just not making your code look nice. Um, so just because you formatted it, you know, you kind of highlighted the whole thing and made sure you're just doing tabs or just doing spaces and everybody's on the right formatter or linter um, does not mean it's clean uh, because it could not, it might not answer those what, how, or why questions. Um, and it's not really going to help you um, maintain it or refactor it going forward. Uh, and finally, this one's kind of a caveat. I don't think that there is one right way to code or to do everything. Um, this is completely up to you um, how much of this you want to take away and try to adopt in your own teams. Um, there is definitely some room for, for flexibility, and this is a little bit of a scale. Uh, I just want to share with you all today um, things that have worked in our team in the past and that we've seen success with. So the first thing that I wanna get into um, is before you even touch the code, uh, getting together and creating a team coding standards document. Uh, so if you work in the agile world, this is separate from a working agreement. So a working agreement usually defines your ceremonies and how you work with others. Your team coding standards is really specific to your dev team. And it's a conversation that you have with your developer team. And it's standards for your code that your team decides and sets on um, for coding going forward. Uh, so this is a living and breathing document. You want to make sure you go up, go in and update these things pretty frequently. Uh, we try to revisit ours probably once a quarter. Uh, every so often, it'll come up in a retro that will review things. Uh, and usually, like if your team changes, if you have a new person join, uh, or if you have somebody leave, or you have a bit of a shakeup, um, it's a good time to revisit this documentation as well. So I put together like a little example of what we've included in our team coding standards in the past and some of the things that have really helped us. So first is like a recommended tool set. Um, so we set out and say, you know, exactly what languages we preference and then maybe what versions we like to be on. Uh, so for instance, my team really prefers to work in Python. Um, so right now we're saying Python 3.9 is what we wanna maintain everything in going forward and create new applications with. Uh, obviously, there's something, there's some caveats to this. You might inherit something, or you have a couple different projects that are a couple different versions. That's totally fine. Uh, and then also include all of the plugins and the IDEs you want to use. Uh, so we like to use VS Code quite a bit. Um, you're free to use whatever you want on our team is kind of our philosophy. But um, if you're on the same tool set, it does make things like troubleshooting and working through issues um, easier, especially as you're working with more junior members or newer folks on your team. Um, so if you have some folks that are really dead set on exactly what development environment they want to use and what they're the most comfortable in, uh, that's totally fine. Um, but just having a recommended tool set is a great place to start. Uh, we put together a branching strategy as well. Uh, so we like to go from a feature branch into a develop branch um, and into our main branch. Um, so we put this together so that we don't collide in projects. Uh, we're a smaller team and we work on smaller things. So having a couple of different branches works. Um, we've definitely uh, used just develop to main depending on what we're working on too. So we call that out in this document. Uh, our testing strategy is another one. So how we prefer to write and use um, unit tests. So like for instance, if we're in a Java project, um, we were maintaining it was using JUnit 5. So we called that out here and exactly what we want to use there. Um, and in some cases, we have common test cases that we like to replicate throughout some of our environments. So that'll be called out here as well. Uh, language specific guides kind of goes hand in hand with that recommended tool set. Um, so you want to make sure you're on the same version and you're doing the same styling. So this is kind of where that tabs versus spaces comes in. 
Um, we've also in the past kind of like templated out exactly how we want like a uh, block comment to look on a method or um, on a definition. Um, so that will be included in there as well. So exactly how those doc strings look um, or comment blocks. We also have a code review policy and a readme outline that we include as part of this document. Um, but I think that those two are bigger discussions. So I have included more of that later on in the presentation. So we'll come back to those. So while you're going through and doing this team code standards, um, you'll probably wanna do your environment setup at the same time. Uh, I would highly recommend doing this as a team. It works really well when you have somebody that's kind of driving and sharing their screen and you're all walking through the same setup together on your own devices. Um, this way, it really helps you kind of stick to your own tools. As people run into issues, you can troubleshoot them all together. Um, and that way, everybody's kind of on the same baseline and you'll, you'll know that all your style guides, your core matters, everything else is kind of in alignment. So it doesn't matter who pulls the project or who works on which thing. Um, it doesn't look like kind of a mess when you're pushing things up and it's very cohesive. Uh, one tool that's really cool that I've tried out a couple times is um, a live code sharing. So if you haven't heard of this, uh, VS Code has a plugin. I'm not sure if other IDEs do as well, but it's basically like a Google Doc for your code. Um, so you're able to like link out with other folks and you just share your emails and then you can all work in the same IDE. Uh, so this is great for like mobbing or pairing sessions um, and it's worked out pretty well for me in the past. So this is like another one that would be really cool to set up while you're doing your environment setup. Uh, and then of course, follow those code standards that you defined. Usually what we tend to do is have like the code standards up while we're going through the environment setup. And then you'll run into things like, you know, hey, we, we decided we wanted to do this, but um, actually, you know, we were looking at plugins and we found a better thing. So we're gonna go back and update our code standards or you know, vice versa. That's why exactly why that's a living document. So as you're going through your environment setup, you can update and change things as you go. Okay, so I'm gonna talk a little bit about documentation. Um, I promise I won't um, bore you to, to death with it because I know it's uh, not everybody's favorite subject, but it is very important. Uh, I'm somebody who believes I'm that documentation point. will be very close to the code. Yeah, exactly. Everybody <laughs> drops that. They're gone. It's no, I'm, t I'm totally kidding. I, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually a proponent of documentation. I, I'm, I am, I'm very pro-documentation because I've been that guy that, that mm -hmm. went into the environment six months later, even if it was me. I'll, I'll wait into a six months later. And I'll be like, what was, what was happening? So, yep. so I, I'm always kind to future Chris. I try to be. Anyway. <laughs> it's it, the biggest thing is really for yourself, honestly. Um, but I, I really think that, and it's frustrating when you're trying to consume someone else's product and they have no documentation and then you're lost. I never want to be that developer for someone else. Um, so that's why we put a huge emphasis on it and our team. Um, so I'm kind of starting small here, but I've alluded a little bit to comments um, like I said, I really like, you know, those method or those definition level comment blocks for your services and things that are maybe um, doing a lot or making a lot of external calls or have a lot of logic going on in them. Um, that's a really great place to kind of take a sentence or two and just explain what's going on or link out to something um, or maybe clearly define like your arguments and your returns um, so that it's just super clear for folks, uh, especially if it's really long. I wouldn't say you have to do this for everything. If you've got a little little helper method that's adding two plus two, you probably don't need to comment that. It should be um, pretty understandable what you're doing there. 
Uh, and that kind of goes to this last point here. Uh, intuitive code shouldn't need comments. So you should be naming variables and definitions and things, um, exactly what you're doing with them and how you're using them. Um, that way it's super clear to everyone. Um, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're calling something the color red, don't name the variable blue. Um, it just makes more sense to follow exactly what your logic is. Um, so your README is super important. Um, as I said, I actually have a template um, for this as well that we'll go through. But um, if you have nothing else, always, always, always include a README, even if it's a super small project, even if you're the only one in there, even if you don't think it's really going to go anywhere, um, you will save yourself so much time and effort um, putting in a README. And honestly, it even you can click it out of the box if you're in GitHub and just have it there. Um, I recommend one have at the root level. So it's right there when you go into your project or when others are looking to consume your project, it's right there. Uh, in the past, I have definitely added additional as needed. Um, if it's a very, very large project, there's lots of going, lots of things going on or it's broken out logically into separate components. Um, sometimes it does make sense to have additional readmes within those uh, folders. Um, so you can definitely use your discretion as to when you may need those things. Uh, again, I think you should follow a very standard template for this because it's going to make everything across all of your repositories nice and clean and easily understood. Um, but the other side of that is you can copy and paste it into all of your other things. So you do it once and a lot of the things are the same, like uh, we'll go through a couple of the different fields, um, but a lot of those things are the same or just need tweaks. Um, so it's super easy to just copy and paste it over into your other um, code repos. Uh, and don't be afraid to link out to other things in them as well. Um, I think that your documentation should live as close to your code as possible, but that doesn't mean that you can't link out to other wiki documents, other GitHub repos. Um, maybe, I mean, we work a lot with AWS. Maybe you're linking out to AWS docs to further explain something or a Lucid chart diagram. Um, just make sure you're linking it here in the README so it's a one stop for everyone else, for everyone that's coming into your um, repository and what they could possibly need. So this is our README template. Um, I really like it a lot. I reference our README's all the time, especially when I stepped away from something for a little while. Um, it has saved me on more than one occasion. So we'll usually put the project name and big bold letters at the top. Uh, and then we include badges. So if you haven't heard of these, they're actually kind of neat. Um, you're able to actually track the status of your build and your deploy. Um, and you can even put in things uh, too as well, like how many open pull requests are there or what version of the library you're on. Uh, and they're literally just little like flags um, that tell you what the status of, is of those things. Um, so it's a quick look to see exactly where you're at, how out of date something might be. Uh, we always have an overview. This is just a high level description of what your project's doing. If it's a super small project, this might just be a sentence or two. If it's a really large project that's doing a lot, it could even be a couple paragraphs. Um, and this might even be a point where you have a lot of external documentation or you know, maybe a Git book or something out there that you can just link out to here as well. Uh, we also work a lot in the cloud. So we'll call out all the key resources we're defining in there. So for instance, if we're creating a S3 bucket and three Lambda functions and an API gateway, we'll call out those high level resources here so that it's very easy to figure out exactly what we're maintaining in this project. Um, the ones that I love the most though are instructions for building, running and testing everything. 
these are the things I forget all the time. Um, and we even go through and call out like bare bones, exactly what you need to get started with this project. So if this is a Python 3.9 project, we're going to say you need Python 3.9. Here's the link hyperlink out to the download for it. Um, we do the same thing. Like I said, we work with AWS a lot. So in a lot of cases, you need the AWS CLI. We'll link out to that as well. Um, so there's a ton of different um, required installs. The thing that you want to think here is that if you're a brand new developer on this team or you've never seen this before, um, what do you need absolutely baseline? Even though it might seem really basic, uh, it helps a ton. Uh, and then step-by-step -step instructions on exactly how to run everything locally um, or uh, how to run the tests as well we put in there too. So whatever, what commands you're using, what dependency managers you're using, um, and then exact steps on how to test manually is also a big one. So especially for working with an API, uh, we'll even go as far as taking screenshots of the postman requests and exactly what you need for headers and how to get an authentication token and all of those things. Um, so it's not a headache and you don't have to dig through a ton of documentation to find it. Uh, and then we'll do the same thing with the endpoints. We'll document exactly what you want to hit. If there's a health endpoint, if there's admin endpoints, um, exactly what the request and the response body might look like. Uh, and again, if you find that your readmes are just getting really chaotic and there's a lot in there, these are things that you can have as external documentation and just point to from your readme as well. Uh, and then at the very bottom, we do include like a contributor statement that just says, hey, this was created by the serverless team. Um, here's our wiki page, reach out to us if you have any questions. Um, just so it's very clear like where the support is and who's maintaining this project going forward as well in case folks have other questions or we need elaboration. Uh, quick question from the audience. Yes. Um, uh, link to stack issue, oh, yeah, bar from, uh, would you, uh, wouldn't you have put those dependencies as part of the make file? Yep, um, they definitely will be in there. Um, this is just like a really upfront, like, hey, this is exactly what you would need. Um, and we don't list everything, like not every single dependency you absolutely need is going to be in there. Um, like I said, like we use Python a lot. So like, obviously you'll go in and see exactly what we're using in like a requirements file or something like that. Um, but it's kind of those basic things like this is a Python project and like maybe this is a command line or tool or two that you'll need to have. So I think at most we have like four or five things on there for um, like required installs and sometimes it's just one or two. Um, but yes, a lot of those dependencies will be listed in your package manager or whatever else that you're using depending on what language you're in. I, I super love that you've got the how to how to build and run locally section because mm -hmm. I, I you're right. I never think about that. And when when somebody else look when, when I'm looking at somebody else's stuff, I'm like, okay, well, how do how do I get this to go? Does it need does it need its own you know virtual environment, et cetera, et yep. cetera? And, and we call and that out too. Mm -hmm. So so um, that's that's genius. I'm I'm going to start putting that into my readme's now. Yeah, it's really helpful too. I mean, we do a lot of um, like lambdas and stuff too. So we run Python lambda local a lot as well. Um, and that hmm. command's pretty long <laughs> if you haven't seen it before right. sometimes. And then that'll show you exactly where all the test files you need are, or maybe where we're keeping environment variables that you need to inject and those sorts of things. Um, so it's, it's, it helps, like I said, it helps me a ton because if I walk away from something for a month, and come back, I completely forget. And then it's not in my recent terminal history and it's a pain. So doing it all day. Yeah, I can't find it. <laughs> okay, I got one more slide on documentation. Um, and we've talked about it quite a bit already, but uh, definitely external documentation. Use it if you need to, if you can. 
Uh, like I said, it's not always necessary for small projects, um, but it could be anything from wiki pages to get books to uh, AWS white papers. Um, the well-architected review is something that's been really popular with us lately as well. Um, so you can link out to that or documentation for it. Uh, if you're big in the cybersecurity space, uh, any sort of threat model diagrams, uh, we lucid chart everything. Um, so linking out to one of those, an architecture diagram or something uh, sometimes helpful as well. Um, but like I said, make sure to re link everything in the README. It's super frustrating to have all of these things out there and not know where to find them or how to get to them. Um, so if you have the code and you're right there in the README and you can get to all of these things, it saves a lot of headaches and questions um, and saves a lot of time. Okay, so we're gonna jump into code reviews. Uh, the biggest thing for code reviews is uh, we've used them as a learning tool. And I have to say, um, when I started in the professional world several years ago now, um, this was the biggest learning tool that I, I had. Um, you know, aside from any courses or workshops or anything else, I learned the most from code reviews um, because we treat them as a learning tool. Um, so we've really encouraged folks to ask questions and have discussions in those code reviews. Um, and that's everything from, you know, having a junior developer ask a ton of questions of how stuff's working um, to having senior folks even go in there and just explain exactly why they did something. Uh, I've definitely had cases where we've maybe broken our code standards before and it's like a quick, hey, I opened the pull request. I'm just going to comment in here like this looks different than how we normally do it because of XYZ. I'm working around this bug or this patch for something. Um, hey, I put it to do in here um, so we can work through that. Um, so it, it also helps you when you explain exactly what you're doing. Um, it helps you get better at those skills as well, um, which is that teaching and kind of like mentoring side of things. Uh, I really operate on the idea that no comment is too small or too silly. Um, this is a controversial one, um, but I'm really picky, picky with grammar. Uh, a lot of engineers don't know how to spell. Um, and I give them a hard time all the time, all the time, <laughs> constantly. And I'm probably annoying, but you know what it did is I started that because first year on the job, I didn't feel like I knew enough to go in there and comment on things, um, or to under, like, you know, you don't even know what you don't know at that point. Um, so I picked out the things that I did know and it was stuff like, Hey, this is unclear. Can you add a comment here for me? Like, I don't get this as a new developer or, you know, <laughs> you copy and pasted this line. Like it, it's silly stuff, um, but it really, over time that builds up and you've already have that base level confidence of being able to put yourself out there um, mm -hmm. and ask silly questions and do those things. And that's where the learning comes from um, because sometimes your senior developers don't necessarily know or remember what it's like to be junior um, and what questions that you might have or issues that you're running into. Um, even if you're not more junior, I keep saying that, but even if it's, you know, you're, you're a Java developer and you're in Python code, um, you know, just having that awareness and like kind of being vulnerable in these things and putting yourself out there, like it's silly to comment on commas and, you know, comments and things, but you also know that that person's paying attention and actually combing through what you're doing as well. Um, so I'm a big proponent for this. I really encourage it because I just think that it helps um, build up your confidence and get you comfortable with asking questions and contributing and putting things in those pull requests. Uh, and kind of along those lines, we don't take things personally on our team. Uh, we don't even touch the like 
needs work or declines button um, unless we're completely trashing something. Um, it's always a discussion. Uh, if something's getting really misconstrued, we take it out of the pull request and hop on a call um, and talk through it because we're not gonna, <laughs> text sometimes can be misconstrued um, and you wanna make sure that you're having those discussions um, with your team. So these are some real samples from um, code that I've used. And this first one is very real. We had a pull request that had over a hundred comments in it. Um, it was a unit test refactor. So there was a lot going on in it and it was a pretty large project. Um, but there was also, this was uh, when I was a little bit more junior, we had someone who um, was actually moving from an analyst role to a developer role. So they were pretty new to code. Um, and this was just discussion. This was just back and forth, like, hey, I don't get this, or why are we doing this like this? Or I found a better tool. Can we talk about this one? Um, and it was just kind of, and some of this, those nitpicky comments were in there. Um, and it made an impact because clearly I went back into the archives and dug it up from 2019 and knew exactly what project it was in and what we were doing in there um, <laughs> to this day. So it, it does strike a chord and you learn a lot in things that are happening there. And I will say not all of our pull requests look like that. That is like totally out of the norm. Um, it's not constant. So it's not usually consuming that much time. Um, but I've thrown in some other examples here. Um, sometimes people forget that you can just compliment you can throw things out there and just say, hey, I like that you did this. Um, this is awesome. I don't usually see it. Um, I just put some of like my silly comments in there too, or like, hey, this is a to-do just so you know. Um, yeah, no worries. Like kind of casual, uh, which leads me to having some fun with your pull requests. You can do it, I promise. Um, we like to put in memes every so often. <laughs> um, so this is me being kind of sassy. Um, and including the little white monkey, like, what is this meme? Uh, the one on the right is actually a colleague of mine talking in third person about trying Java 8 um, and being scared. So it's pretty funny. Um, and then I just throw in some sass with some of our dummy test data. So you can definitely keep it light and just have fun with it too. Uh, that's not the demeanor on your team. That's totally fine. Um, but we just kind of like to enjoy ourselves a little bit. This should and, be the uh, demeanor for everybody's it. team. It's amazing. It's, it's so great. <laughs> um, so kind of to get to the point here of wrapping up a little bit, um, I do want to call out that this really does work. Um, and I have several example of, examples of where I've followed a lot of these things. Um, and it's worked to our benefit. Uh, so the first thing is uh, with the database application that we built out. So all of those screenshots you were seeing from the pull requests um, are from this product. Uh, and it was just one that helped you um, easily deploy databases into the cloud that we built out a couple of years ago. Uh, and we actually, we built this out and then we passed it on to another team to maintain. And the other team that's maintaining it actually had almost no coding experience. So they were all um, database admins or network analysts, um, they weren't, they were not coders. Um, so we had one like two hour session transferring everything over to them. And I think since we've done that, they have called us once with questions and that's it. Um, and they took over at least 12 code bases that were part of this project. Um, but we followed all those things of documenting the readmes. Um, they know exactly where to go to look for things, how to run stuff. Um, they have not bothered us once and this product is still in use today and they are still churning out new features on it. Um, and it's 
highly, um, people like it and use it all the time. Uh, so this is like a big example of where doing that documentation and putting those things in and putting that work in up front and coding clean uh, really paid off and helped folks. Um, the open source collaboration is another one. So we allow other folks to um, contribute to our pull requests uh, or contribute pull requests to our code repos. Um, so having this documentation um, and one of the sections will include for some folks that maybe um, for repos that we allow um, pull requests to, we'll also include in our readme um, an example or a, an explanation of how to contribute um, back to them as well. Um, so we've had a lot of high praise for folks that um, have worked with us um, and have contributed with us. Uh, and nine out of 10 times, they don't need our help. They can pull down our code or fork it, um, push something up, know exactly where they need to change stuff. We actually have a team that contributes to code in our space weekly. Um, and there's never been an issue. We've never run into anything. Um, and folks are pretty happy with the way that we've documented things. Um, so this is a huge pro for that as well. Uh, and finally, we have an internal company hackathon. Typically every year, it's been a bit on hiatus with the pandemic. Um, but a couple members from my team uh, came together and formed a hackathon team. Uh, so it's 24 hours straight, uh, all through the night and everything. Um, and we actually followed these within a 24 hour time limit. So time is not something that you can complain about um, because we did this within 24 hours, still had some tests, still had some documentation. Um, and we actually won the um, best tech award uh, for that hackathon as well. So. You can definitely do it within 24 hours um, and they are clean ways to do this. I missed um, hearing about the hackathons. Uh, we, we'd, we'd tried to get in on a couple of them in the Portsmouth office and they're like, no, <laughs> these, are, these are our internal ones. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, I'm glad they're, we're finally coming back uh, in October. Um, okay, so I just have a kind of bonus slide for you here if you're still with me. Um, so one of the things that I, I get a lot when I give this presentation um, or when I talk about these things is these are all great, we're on board with you, but we can't prioritize this. Like we're way too busy, like putting out fires all the time or churning out new features or like, you know, we get it, but our business side doesn't get it or our product owner doesn't understand. Um, so I kind of just point back to these three things, which are time, cost, and security. And these are kind of the things that you keep in your back pocket and kind of bring to the table as ammunition in a sense of pushing for prioritizing this work. Um, because if you're going back and doing this clean code thing uh, and updating your projects, um, it's a time up front, but it's gonna save you a lot of time in the long run. So like I mentioned, we're not spending time helping other people contribute to our code bases. They can do that pretty easily. We're not spending a ton of time. It, refactoring doesn't take us a ton of time. Tech debt doesn't take us a ton of time um, because we've made it really easy to refactor and easy to maintain up front. Uh, in some cases, it's definitely going to save you cost uh, along with time because the developer hours. But uh, in some cases, if you're refactoring and maintaining things, um, they're announcing new stuff and it's coming out and it's cheaper and you're using it and consuming it. Um, so if you can keep up to date with those things and refactor and maintain, um, you're going to spend less um, cost on actually running things um, and building stuff out. And you're going to be more secure. Uh, Again, new patches of things come out all the time. Um, Log4j, we had some folks that that was super easy to fix. 
because of the way that they wrote their code and they hopped in there. You have mm -hmm. other folks that are probably still struggling to, to stay up to date on those, those things. So that's when it pays off um, putting in those clean code things. So those are kind of the arguments that I tend to turn around and, and push back on. Um, and it doesn't always work in every case. And sometimes you need to take it chunk by chunk. Um, sometimes what we do is uh, we keep track of our tech debt as we go through and keep it in our backlog. And then every sprint, we'll just bring one of those in something small to do or something quick or whatever, so that it's con we're constantly um, staying on top of it um, and kind of rotate taking turns for who maintains it versus who's working on newer stuff. Uh, quick question. Yeah. Um, for, from Graham, does, so he's, he's saying it sounds like you have a large team. Does, does this apply across the board with small teams, medium teams and large teams or, or it, does it behoove certain sizes more? Um, so it's actually funny you say that because I have a very small team. Um, we just got our fourth member and she's a college hire. Um, so we don't have a ton of huge expertise um, and uh, we are very small. And actually the, the database team I was on was also only four people as well. Um, so I haven't even, I haven't had much experience with large teams, <laughs> funny enough. So it's kind of funny that you picked, up, um, picked up on that through what I was saying. Um, so yeah, it, it is a little bit more of a strain maybe on smaller teams, um, but I've also been in the fortunate situation where a lot of the things I've been working on are greenfield. I haven't inherited a ton of things, um, which is what I think kind of happens on larger teams. Like what we maintain is stuff that we've built from the beginning um, and we've kind of started from the ground up. Um, so we all have that knowledge and can share those things. Um, so I'd say, you know, in my experience, it works better on smaller teams. Um, I've heard more complaints from folks that are on larger teams sometimes um, and have just more that they're maintaining and things that they've inherited that is years and years old that nobody wants to touch because if they pull the one thing out, the whole thing will the come thing tumbling down. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah, and that's, we're 109 years old. We have plenty of that throughout our organization as well. I can't even imagine. Yeah, yep. Um, so just to wrap up here, you know, kind of a quick summary of what we talked about. Um, the biggest things for me to take out of this is, you know, you want to create and follow those team standards. Um, if you're looking at this and you're thinking about the code that you have and how massive it would be to go through and refactor everything and do everything, um, just start small, like start with your new stuff that you're building, maybe sit down with your team at your next retro. Um, or, or if it's just you and you're trying to maintain your stuff and your personal projects, sit down with yourself and list out all of these things and have a document there. Um, that's a start. Um, getting your environments on the same page, that's a start. And that doesn't take a ton of time. Um, documenting everything is also going to help. Again, even if you just start today, um, you don't have to go through and fix everything uh, that you've ever done. Um, but starting today is a huge step forward. Uh, and then using those code reviews to learn. Uh, absolutely love that. I will highly recommend the memes, and the jokes, and the sass. Um, but again, if you don't want to, totally fine. Um, it's still good to, to learn and to be vulnerable. Um, and somebody that's kind of more senior, I ask questions all the time. And I find that by setting that precedence, other folks aren't afraid to jump in and do that. Um, and it shows, kind of gets rid of some of those imposter syndrome feelings. Uh, and finally, just have fun with it. Hopefully we're all here because we at least kind of like to code um, or engineering or tech in general of some sort. So um, just continue to enjoy it and have fun with it. Uh, so that's all I have. I've put my Twitter handle up here again. Um, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. It's just my name. Uh, this is a hiking photo from Black Canyon of the Gunnison, which is a national park here in Colorado. So I absolutely love hiking. Um, so that's 
I'll come back to the slide, but I do just want to say quickly um, some upcoming things that I have going on. Um, if you like what you heard or you want to hear more about serverless at Liberty, I talked a lot about it. Um, like I mentioned, we're having our first Denver meet and greet next week. Um, I'm also on the committee for organizing CDK Day. Um, so that is next Thursday, the 26th. Uh, it is virtual and completely free. We have a ton of awesome tracks. We had about 110 submissions. Um, so we ended up opening uh, three tracks. Um, so there's some great stuff in there. I would highly recommend you check it out and uh, sign up for a ticket. Uh, I will also be speaking with the AWS user group uh, Denver, um, that will also be virtual on June 15th. So I'll be talking about SAM and some golden paths with the serverless application model. Uh, I will also be speaking at the Chicago summit in August. So if anybody's going to be there, um, we'd love to see you. Uh, and I will be on some upcoming podcasts. So serverless guru syntax and real world serverless, I will be recording for um, this week and next week. So those should be released within the next month. So you, what's you going are on? A machine. You are a machine. What's going on? <laughs> I, I just reposted that. So, uh, get some, get some uh, traction. <laughs> Can always count on you. We'll, we'll have a, a little Christy fan club in the back of every, one, <laughs> every single one of those events. Woo! Yeah, just a little sign. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Cool. Okay. Well, um, thank you for coming on this evening as always. Your presentations are informative and fun and very well put together. So I will say, uh, Margot, who's in the audience, is my favorite uh, PowerPoint putter together person. Uh, she she has a she has a gift. Like she and I, when we get together, I'll be like, I can't make these things work. And, she, and Gosh, she's just why like, didn't I know this before this? That would be well, great. So, so, no, no, here's, here's, the, here's the fun part. She was watching this and she was like, oh my God, I need her deck. I love it. I, I love everything about it. <laughs> That's so funny. Yes, you can have it. So this, it's funny enough. Um, I gave this talk. Um, this was, this is actually the first, you guys have a special treat because this is the first talk I've like ever given, like ever. Um, like it was, I gave this talk in November um, mm. at the Women Who Code conference. So that's mm -hmm. what the template's from. It's the Women Who Code, like, I've kind of taken some of them out, but um, you can definitely have that that deck. It is pretty fun. Um, nice. So this is the first one I've ever given. So I think I've refined <laughs> it pretty well for everyone here. Yeah, to 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 get a uh, high praise of a deck from Margot in in my estimation wow. is very high praise because, Gosh. like she's she's um, she's the bee's knees, and apparently you are the you are also the bee's knees. So, so. <laughs> I've hit my ceiling. I like if Margot <laughs> said that like I can't do any more decks ever. I'm glad that it's this one though because all my other ones are Liberty Mutual branded, which is that bright yellow and it's so and, obnoxious. And the, yeah, the yellow and the blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so obnoxious. So I'm so glad you saw this one and not the other ones. <laughs> it, is, it is rather, I've, I've seen a lot of those decks myself because of the work that I've done with Liberty. So that it's it's yep. kind of eye-watering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they know what they're doing. People people know it. You knew it, right? Exactly. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's easy. It's, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Christy, uh, thanks for coming on this evening. Um, I'm gonna, yeah, all, all the questions have been answered from the chat. So we are good to go with that. And uh, folks, we will catch you again next week as, as we continue on, on all of our V Brown Bag episodes. Um, Chrissy, thanks, thanks so much for coming on again. I always love having you on the show. Of course, I always love being here. All right, have a good night, folks. Bye-bye.